When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> there is a ball. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est bon. Ce sera la victoire des Canadiens. Stanley pour les Canadiens. Le 23e de l'histoire. You found the dogs. John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together they worked a young team to the top. And now a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup! Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's gonna be sick. How is everyone doing tonight on this Monday, December 11th? How is how's everyone doing, man? It's been a while. It seems like because I'm off on Fridays and I bring you the sick podcast Monday to Thursday nights, of course, at 10 p.m. And Matt O'Han usually is there on Friday nights at 10 p.m. So when I talk to you again every Monday, it seems like forever since we last talked. Like, so much has changed. As a matter of fact, look, I even cut my hair. Did it myself. I should always know better. I should go see my buddy, Joey the Barber. Um, but uh, it was just one of those things. I was home. It was late. And I was looking at my hair. And I was like, you know what? It is kind of long. And then you just start with a touch-up. And then you realize you're in. Anyway, I just, I, I do this everyone's got a bad habit every now and then I cut my hair I don't know why and I'm hoping it's not all that bad I'm hoping it's not all that bad um speaking of not all that bad Caden Primo huh Caden Primo on Saturday night so we just witnessed Caden Primo's worst game in the National Hockey League which was not last game but the game before where he gave up five and they were all glove side and Caden Primo's best game in the National Hockey League where he's top 46 of 48 on Saturday night versus the Buffalo Sabres in Buffalo. And I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again, and I used to be the president of the Caden Primo fan club, and um, I'm not so sure I'm the president anymore, but I'm, I'm definitely still on that bandwagon. When the question comes up, who do you keep? Who do you keep? Who do you keep? Who do you keep? I have to tell you, that although I respect everyone's opinion, because the beauty of sports is that it's a, it's opinions, right? That's what it is. And in opinions, there's supposed to be no right and there's supposed to be no wrong. But when it comes to sports, you just get the feeling that sometimes there is, you know what I mean? So I say that, and I say, with all due respect to everyone's opinions, I can't understand anyone whose opinion is Jake Allen has to stay and Caden Primo has to go. I don't get it. We can talk about it until three o'clock in the morning. You're not going to change my mind. 
Jake Allen is what, I, you know, probably 33. I don't have his hockey DB in front of me, but probably 33. Caden Primo's the youngest of the three goalies. He earns the least money of the three goalies. And out of the three goalies, he's the one who obviously is the furthest away from his prime. So one day he's going to hit it. And why would we send them or Montreal send them somewhere else before he can hit his full potential? Not to mention that the team is in a rebuild. It's a rebuild. So why would you, yeah, but he's never going to amount. You know what? If you have that opinion, he's never going to amount to anything. You know what? Let's, let's, let's see. Let's give him a chance. Let's see. When he gave up five and they were all glove side, a lot of people thought he wasn't a National Hockey League goaltender. Now he comes back, stops 46. He's a National Hockey League goaltender all of a sudden. So, you know, in, in one week, he went, or a week and a half, he went from not being an NHL goaltender to being one. It's bumps in the road. It's called being a young player. I think I'm starting to uh, get wiser as I get older because I should have known those bumps in the road for Slavkovsky. But at one point, we're like, ah, you know what, Slavkovsky, he's got to go to Laval. He looks at a place. He looks slow. He looks like he's reacting. It looks like he, you know, he fumbles the puck every now and then. It looks like he panics. And now all of a sudden, a month later, Slavkovsky, anyone who has Slavkovsky in AHL in the same sentence now is off their rocker because he's extremely comfortable as a National Hockey League player, even though he wasn't on the score sheet and didn't pick up points on the weekend. He looked very good. He looked like he belonged. He is a National Hockey League player. And you know what? He he obviously isn't where he needs to be because that's going to take time with every young player, even with older players it takes time. But I think right now we can say we, we can understand what the Canadians saw. And right now we have to give the Canadians the benefit of the doubt that they probably know what they're doing with this player because he's looking a lot better than he did a year ago. I think I've just been given word that we have our guy and Eric Engels of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca is here. The SIG podcast, of course, brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group, by Playground, and by... La bit a TB. Do we have Eric? If so, bring him on. What's going on? What's up? Hey. Dealing with some technical difficulties here. No, don't worry about it. Is uh is that a new mic or did you have that already? No, I've had it already. I just don't know if it's working. Oh, okay. I like I feel the like setup. I can't plug I can't plug the webcam and the mic in at the same time, but nobody wants to hear about this technical nonsense. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So as yeah. long as you can yeah. hear me and yeah. you can see me, I think we're good. Hey, guess what? Tell me. Kent, you spoke to the media today. Well, you spoke to the sick podcast, that division of it, I think I, that, I that is That is absolutely correct. And we've told you this before. The sick podcast is very proud to have among us in our family, the eye test with Jimmy Murphy and Pierre Maguire. Now, stay, they started up the podcast. I don't have the exact date, but I'll say give or take about a month ago. And uh, they brought in some fantastic guests, one of which the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens, Kent Hughes. Kent Hughes was on the eye test earlier today. And so what we're going to do is we're going to bring up a couple of clips, but at the same time, we're not going to bring them all up because I want you to watch the eye test. It's that good. With Jimmy, I watched it. It was really good. I watched it. Okay, good. All right. So on that note, uh, for those who didn't watch it, uh, let's bring up a couple of clips if we can, and we'll get them out of the way. And one was, we're just talking about Slavkowski and Slavkowski progressing. Here's Kent Hughes. I think we, from the start of the year, we've seen an improvement in him from, from the prior season. Um, we know it's not a straight line, right? You know, he'll have uh, a stretch of games. And in fact, I remember, uh, sitting in Jeff Molson's office saying really like where Slav's game's going. And I think the following night was probably his worst game of the year. So. <laughs> <laughs> that nothing like, nothing like ga- uh, gaining your, uh, your boss's confidence or your ability. <laughs> so, um, but listen, he, he's, he's a determined kid. He, he's 
wise beyond his years. I, I don't know if you guys saw, but he, I, I saw it online somewhere where he was being asked and he about his progression. He just said, listen, some people are that good. They come, they're great right away. And, and others, it takes longer and some never get there. And I have my own idea of what I want to accomplish. And, and I'm going to look back at it when I'm 50. And, and that's when I want to be proud of what I'm so he's got that long-term view. And I think that's going to help him in this market. Uh, he is what he is today. I don't think he's going to be, we're not going to really know what he, Slav can be for another few years, in my opinion. All right. Uh, there you have it on Slavkovsky progressing. Your thoughts and what he had to say. Well, the first thing is it's nice to see the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens have such a balanced opinion on things. Um, you know, but you hear so many <clears throat> bipolar opinions in Montreal outside from the fan base uh, on social media uh, in an age where, you know, the, the volume gets cranked up past 11. And, you know, you you would hope that the people who run the team uh, do not look at it through the same lens and get so up and down with every little thing that happens, good and bad. Um, I think he has a really balanced concept of what the player is. And it seems to mirror what most of the people in the media who are there on a daily basis have been saying about him since the start. Uh, you know, the, the one thing that really stands out to me about Slavkovsky, and you and I have had countless discussions about him since the beginning of the season, and, and I, I want to be consistent in what I've said, is that when there was a huge debate raging about whether or not his interests were best served continuing in the NHL, the thing that I said was, look, if you want to give him a confidence boost going to the AHL, that makes sense. But if the Canadians really felt like his confidence was at such a low that they absolutely needed to do that, they would have done it. And speaking to Slavkovsky at different points, specifically when he really was struggling quite a bit on the ice, I think back to the trip where we were in Vegas and Arizona mm-hmm. as the low point. Yeah. You know, I spoke to Jake Allen, who was saying to me, like, for as much as he's struggling here and there, he comes in every day and his attitude is just miles ahead of where it was a year ago where he had such high expectations of himself. He understands he's in a process. And, and, you know, he just doesn't look like his confidence has been dented to the point that it might appear like in, in games. And I'm paraphrasing. That's not a direct quote from Jake, but that's basically what he said. And we were seeing the same thing with Slavkovsky's interactions with us. He kept yeah. a sense of humor about him. And, and I just think this is a huge part of the reason he was chosen. We've seen the viral clips already from Nick Bobrov and talking yeah. about the pressure of a nation and being yeah, able yeah. to handle the pressure of Montreal. We've seen evidence of it since he's come here. And I think to see him turn the corner, one of the other things that I said consistently with you is the thing that is going to take time to develop, no matter where he plays, whether it's the AHL, the NHL, Europe, junior, wherever, is growing into his body and learning how to use it. But what should be extremely encouraging about this player right now is he's made a huge adaptation on that front in a very short span. Like you can see now he is starting to under, and maybe it was just a couple of shifts that changed this for him, but he is starting to realize how hard he can be to handle for opposing players when he's able to use his body appropriately and, Maybe he is growing into it a bit more. I think that process will take time, but he's definitely yeah. using it a lot better than he did, you know, a year ago and even a month ago. Eric, uh, I don't have the stats to support it, but it just seems watching the games over the last couple of weeks, the puck battles, it almost seems like he won more in the last two weeks than he did ever since he started in the National Hockey League. It's he is he's he's not falling down nearly as much, if not at all. He's coming away with the puck more often than not. And I've seen pretty big guys bounce off of him. And now I'm thinking, and it has a lot of people thinking, how about in three or four years when this guy really grows into his body? Because we know that big boys like that takes a while to grow into your body. And then you add a little bit more muscle mass every year. And then you add experience and you add knowledge, and you add confidence, and you add, you know, other things that you need to add to refine your game, he's going to be a force. I mean, it just, 
it, it, it looks like he's going to be a force. And so I'll say this because I've gone on record as saying that based on what I've seen in the very, very small sample, Logan Cooley's tools in terms of being a hockey player, in terms of vision, stick handling, um, playmaking ability and all that stuff, I don't think Slavkovsky has that. So it leads me to believe that Cooley will be the better hockey player. But I can tell you, and I said this a couple of days ago, and I'll say it again on this Monday, December 11th, seeing what we've seen in the past couple of weeks, I can understand why they were talking like that around that table. And I can understand why they pick Slavkowski at number one. So I'm going to say this. If Slavkowski doesn't have the better career, I'm not going to be one that's going to knock them for it going forward. At least I hope not, because I can understand him being the – that's a pretty big package. That's a pretty nice package. Yeah. Well, people better keep it in perspective also moving forward. There's going to be some downs too. There's going to be ups and downs like there is for every player. Look, Cole Caulfield came into the season with everybody thinking he was going to score 50 goals. Um, you know, it's not going that way. It's odd because he's shooting the, you know, he's shooting at an incredible volume and typically throughout his entire life, um, a lot more of those shots have gone in. And you know what? For all the people who are not watching these games that Slavkovsky's playing and questioning what everybody's talking about in terms of his progress because the points aren't there, I think you'd have a lot more of them if Caulfield had buried a couple of those shots and Suzuki had buried a couple of his. And we'd be talking, we'd be talking about a production that matches. And you talk about Cooley versus Slavkovsky and who might be uh, the better player in the end. You know, maybe Cooley will be a more offensively prolific player. That's something that seems to be the early indication based on the skill sets. One thing that was really easy to ignore about Slavkovsky before he's kind of gained the confidence that he's displaying is he really does have a lot of skill. I mean, the skill is there. Like, his playmaking ability, his stick-handling ability, as he displayed in the shootout, his shot, um, there's a lot of elements there. Um, his vision especially uh, that I don't think a lot of fans were able to pick out when he was struggling a little bit, um, but now it seems so obvious. And I, I've felt strongly, even when he was having a tough time in the NHL, that he was going to turn into a good player. I still believe that's going to be the case. Um, in terms of this draft, though, and I've said this before too, like, yeah. will he be the best player to come out of this draft? Will Logan Cooley be the best player to come out of this draft? I think there's a good chance that Lane Hudson, who was chosen 62nd overall, could be the best player that comes out of this draft. We'll find out in five, six, seven, eight, ten years. Um, I like Ken Hughes saying that he's not exactly sure, you know. He's not exactly sure what the player is going to be until a few years go by. Um, and I think that's a really balanced way of looking at Joe Thornton through the first yeah. three years of his career. But, you know, they, you know there was a lot of doubt. Yeah, that was cast on that player, and it just comes down to what it takes for players that size to evolve and become who they're going to be as finished products. Eric, Shane Wright might end up being the best player in the draft. That would be a twist. Simon Nemich might be end up being the best player in the draft. Yeah. You know what? Maybe even really David Yurich, David Yurichek might end up being the love best that player. player. In the draft. I I love Yurichek a lot, but I have mm -hmm. to, Nemich has looked really good in his first three or four I games. They're both really good. Yeah, and really so. Good. Look, Shane Wright's putting up really, really good numbers for a 19-year-old in the American Hockey League. So let's uh, once again, it's it's not a sprint; it's a marathon. It's going to take a while before we end up knowing who's the best player. But once again, I, I can see now what they were seeing with Slavkowski. I mean, it's very, very clear. I think to me, I think it's very, very clear to everyone. More on Slavkowski from Kent Hughes. On the eye test on the Sick Podcast Network with Jimmy Murphy and Pierre Maguire on Slavkowski learning how to use his body, but still there's some things to work on. There, there's no question they're seeing the uh, the progression in his game, his strength along the wall, his ability to protect pucks. Last year, he'd get bumped, he'd get more knocked off balance, uh, he'd lose the puck. He's learning to take a stick off the puck while he absorbs physical contact repossessed the puck afterwards so like a lot of little tricks of the trade of, of playing here in north america especially at the nhl level 
Um, there's more to come. Like you, you can tell he doesn't fully have his confidence around the net, especially when he's playing with you know Suzuki and Caulfield. He's looking to move the puck all the time. I, I think that's all part of him figuring things out step by step. And, and we're trying to be very mindful of not popping 20 things on his to-do list here in terms of needs for improvement because we all know hockey's such a reactive, instinctive game and we don't want to take that away from him. Uh, and I think at parts last year, we probably did. And, and I think that was bound to happen one way or the other. But as we progress forward here, it's, you know, let's tackle two things and then move on to the next. And that's why I say, like, I think it's still another three or four years before we really see what Slav can be. I didn't need to hear Kent Hughes again to to say how good uh, I think Canadians fans are going to have it going forward with this guy at the helm. Um, but man, it's just every time he talks, he's he's like you said, he's balanced, but he makes sense. And when I hear him say, when he talked about, you know, we're not going to put 20 things on his plate because we don't want to take away from his instinctiveness and his creativity and we don't want to stifle him that's the worry you have in montreal right the pressure alone is stifling the fact that there's more media that you have to listen to and read and see and social media and a pressure-packed environment is stifling imagine being told over and over again you can't do this you can't do that you can't do this you can't do that or you have to do all this, 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 this. It can get very overwhelming. They don't want to put too much on his plate. I love what I just heard. I love it. You're bringing up a lot of good points. I'm going to tell you what I heard listening to that. And what I heard is evidence of the harmony of the Canadians organization. Because I went, go back two years and did an interview with Jeff Gordon about how he wasn't just being brought in to rebuild the hockey team, but also to rebuild the hockey organization. Um, we did did a deep dive and an interview with him and an interview with all kinds of people to establish that. And then a year later, last year, where they were at one year in terms of that process, in terms of taking what had become different silos and putting them back together and being a harmonious organization. And when I hear Ken Hughes talk about that stuff, I hear Marty St. Louis from earlier, uh, going back to training camp, talking about not overcoaching the players, about al allowing them to make their mistakes and correct themselves, uh, allowing them to focus on one or two different things. I hear Adam Nicholas um, in player development um, and see with my own eyes at practice a very specific focus on one or two things and not everything. Um, the work that you're seeing that went into Slavkovsky doing those little details, taking his puck off the stick uh, as he engages in a physical battle and then, you know, putting his stick back on the puck uh, so that he doesn't lose it when he's bumped. That's stuff that he has specifically worked on with Adam and with Marty in the video yeah. room and at practice. You bring up a great point in terms of the vision and, and that stuff. When I listen to that, I, I hear evidence of the harmony that has been built between coaching, development, management. Everyone's on the same page here. They're speaking the same language. And, and this is going to address, to me, what was the biggest problem with this organization through the Mark Bergman years and even preceding that a little bit as they every year tried to be competitive and be a part of the playoffs without necessarily being able to build themselves into contenders because they were so focused on not dropping out of the playoff race. Development was the biggest problem. It, I agree with, it, I people agree talk with nonstop about drafting and it goes hand in hand with development. You have to draft the players for them to be developed, but development was the biggest fallacy for the Montreal Canadiens. And you were not going to solve that problem without beefing up analytics beefing up the player development uh, department, bringing in management and coaches that are on the same page and everybody coming together on it. That's what I hear. At the same time here, and I agree with you a thousand percent. At the same time, there's something so that, you know, in terms of being fair here that we have to bring up is that, uh, I'm trying to think here. So when Mark Bergevin was hired, and I believe it was May 2nd, 2012, if memory serves me well, give or take, 
Uh, I remember Jeff Molson introducing Marc Bergevin as the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens. But when he was going through the criteria that he was looking for before naming the general manager, one of the things he mentioned was to improving the team in the short term. Yes, also, you know, to have a team that can continue to win for the long term, but improving the team in the short term. And Jeff Molson made it clear back then that the Canadians were not going to be in a rebuild, right? They well, yeah, had, as a matter of fact, sure. they had just finished third last in the National Hockey League, if memory serves me well. They had drafted Galchenyuk, or third or fourth last. They had drafted Galchenyuk third overall. That draft that took place in Pittsburgh. And they they you know, wanted to get back on track. They had Price. They had Pacioretty. I think they had Subban. And like, okay, you know what, Mark? We got to get better. Let's go. This was a bad year. We got to get better. And Mark Bergevin patched the team to try and make it better slowly but surely. And because there wasn't a rebuild at the time, I think it was harder to have a long-term plan than it is now. Because now, knowing it's a rebuild, right? You know exactly where you are. You know what you want to get to. Back then, it was like like you said, let's 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 try and make the playoffs, and we'll see what happens. Let's try and make the playoffs. We'll see what happens. Let's try and make the playoffs. And Mark Bergevin had that strategy pretty much for almost every year and, and with the exception of one year where they got into really bad injuries and then they had a really bad year. That's the year they ended up drafting Kock and Yemi third overall. But a couple of years ago, right, once again, he went all in because he knew that Price had little left and he knew that Shea Weber had little left and he probably knew that he had little left too. And he said, you know what? Let's go all in. And they went all in. You're right, Tony, and you're yeah. being fair and I appreciate it. And, and that's why I brought it up to begin with as a, as a, check against this big deficiency was that there was a different mandate and Mark Bergevin met that mandate for the most part of his time here. However, yeah, it didn't change the fact that they had two people dedicated to development and did not develop their prospects the way they should have. Like, yes, there were certain decisions that were made to feed the beast of constantly having to try to make the playoffs and just remain in a competitive kind of realm yeah. Uh, rushing certain players at certain points or, you know, not giving them the proper attention they would require to develop properly. Yeah. But that, you know, that doesn't absolve them from not beefing up the one department that could help them overcome yeah. those challenges. And, like, that's no disrespect. Rob Rob Ramage and Francis Bouillon, who, who've been with the organization for quite some time and a fair portion of that Bergevin era – as player development guys did a phenomenal job going around and doing what they had, like what they could do with, with, with the tools that were available to them. But analytics was almost a non-factor. It was outsourced under the entire Bergevin era. You know, they yeah. didn't have, so they had somebody in house for a very short period of time and he was gone pretty quickly. Yeah. And, you know, even when he was there, I, I can't say with certainty that they trusted his opinion fully and, and development that staff was limited to, to two people at a time yeah. where the thing that could have potentially taken them over the edge since they had a hard time trading for centermen or yeah. uh, signing free agents was developing their own players. Uh, you know, I, I think especially when you look at the record of first round picks not panning out, so much of the blame has been shifted to Trevor Timmons. And I, I don't yeah. think. I don't think that's where it fully belongs. I'm not saying he's blameless in, in the situation, but they they had to do a lot more in terms of their organization to properly develop players. And you know what? The new it was very easy for the incumbent vice president of hockey operations and Jeff Gordon and for Kent Hughes, the GM, to recognize where the biggest hole was and how quickly they had to address it. And but coming back to the original point here, you can put people in place. But making them work together and bringing everything as one well-oiled machine is a process. And it seems to me the Canadians are advancing in that process. When you yeah. hear Kent talk the way he's talking and it completely mirrors what the coach says, what the player development guy says, what Jeff Gordon says, there's, yeah. there's yeah. harmony there. Yeah, picking up on what you just said, uh, and I don't know this because obviously I'm not on the inside, but just judging by some of the answers – that Mark Bergevin gave the media over the nine and a half years that he was at the helm as general manager, you get the feeling that uh, he was less a fan of analytics and the broad spectrum that is analytics 
that this management team is. Uh, you definitely get that feeling for sure. Okay, now, uh, Jaden Struble, I found this particularly interesting when Pierre Maguire said, speaking of identities and player identities, Struble is playing to his identity. And Kent Hughes said he definitely is. And then he added this on Jaden Struble. Uh He's, he's come in. It's, it's kind of interesting because when we called him up for the trip, I called him and, and said, Jaden, we're calling you up. You deserve it. You came to Montreal. You trained all summer. Uh, you put the effort in. You've been our most consistent defenseman in the American Hockey League. I don't think you're going to play, but I want you to come up and I want you to experience what it's like. I want you to see how they prepare for games and do all of that. And they they landed in California and, and called and said, Harris needs imaging and uh, Struble's playing and, and he took it and he ran with it. And he's, he's kind of focused on little details. Like we talk about with slap, you know, we talked to him a lot about, you know, not kind of going heel to heel into the corner and then being forced to pass middle with his puck or, or up somebody's uh, mm-hmm. backside and, you know, move his feet to get over, go North and don't go North up the wall. If you have that ability. And then the rest of his game is just, you know, coming to him. It, it's, it's like the game slowed down for him. Uh, which is great, but I also I warned him. I said, you know, there's a there, there's going to be a downfall coming, and inevitably, how do you manage it? How do you handle these things? It, it's with the young athletes. I, I really believe so much of that adjustment to the National Hockey League is the mental piece, right? It's it's it, it is a mental grind for 186 days, and then the playoffs if you're in them. Uh, I told Jaden, we're calling you up. You deserve it. You've been our most consistent defenseman down there. You work really hard throughout the entire summer. And you're probably not going to play, but I want you to see what it's like to be a pro. And, uh, you know, he gets in the lineup and he hasn't come out. It's a pretty cool story. Now, at one point, maybe he will. Jordan Harris at one point will be back. We saw with David Savard coming back that uh, Lindstrom, um, you know, has had to, 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 to give up his spot for now. But there's a pretty nice problem. There's a pretty nice problem taking shape in Montreal. And uh, Jaden Struble is part of that pretty nice problem because he doesn't make too many mistakes, Eric. I mean, I don't remember the last time where he did something and I said, oh, it's a bad mistake. He's doesn't make too many mistakes. He's definitely increasing the competition on the Canadians' blue line. You know, you think about Harris who's sitting upstairs watching these games and Harris has proven to be a reliable player at this level in a short period of time in Montreal and has gotten better and better uh, I think Um, and very easy to ignore his progress because you don't notice him that much on the ice right you probably don't notice him as much as you notice Struble Um, but they're similar type players in terms of what they do well Uh, Struble obviously having a bit of a a physical edge to him that Harris I, don't, I wouldn't say it's that he doesn't possess it. It's just they're built differently. Um, yeah. But Harris, it, Harris is a more of a, you know, use your, your stick type of thing, where yeah. it would be more take the body type of thing. Uh, yeah. I'll, add, I'll add that. But um, they both, they both, the, both of them, their strengths are defending. Yeah. You know, Harris is, is, if you look at Harris's strength on the ice, it is defending. He has some weaknesses. He's, he's got to get better defending out of the corners and in front of the net. And he'd be the first to tell you that, that it's a process for him. Don't forget his age, right? Is he 22, yeah. 23 years old? Yeah. But, you know, the competition was already fierce, and it has gotten better with the emergence of Struble uh, to Jack Eye's expense, to Harris's expense. And what's it going to do? It's going to turn everybody into a better player, including Struble himself, who's got to maintain when Kent is 100% right there will inevitably come a game where he gets dunked on, right? Like it's mm-hmm. yeah, of course. like every, it happens. Every, think about Caden Gooley and how well he has played this season. And he's had a couple of games where well, all of a sudden, you know, he's the victim of two quick goals. Yeah. Um, I think in a recent game when that happened to him, um, was it uh, in Montreal? Well, there was the game where Byfield took him to the outside. Dowdy, LA, LA. LA. Yeah. Dowdy scored. Yeah, he went in off him, and then yeah. you know, Byfield caught him at the end of a long shift where he took a full rush up the ice. Yeah, I remember like 
you know, coming in intermission, somebody said to me, well, what a goal by Byfield. I was like, well, yeah, what a goal. I mean, it was though. I mean, it was, it was, it was a good goal and the goal that he should score given the room that was allowed to him. Yeah. Because Gooley was gassed at the end of his shift and couldn't, couldn't keep pace. It was impressive speed. It was an impressive power move to the net. I'm not taking anything away from the goal, but like, it was an impressive finish too, because a lot of guys probably would have shot the puck. And here he yeah. goes. You know what? I'm gonna. If you're a player his size with his ability, with you, better his reach. Be, you better be able to take advantage of yeah. somebody giving you that lane to be able to do that. And he, he did. Took it. He so took full it. credit. But yeah. I'm just saying, like, does this mean that Gooley is any less good that we think he like? He's every player goes through it at some point or another where they're going to be the victim of of a bad night or a tough night or a, a night that's tougher on them and. That's coming for Shrubel. We haven't seen yeah. it quite yet, but it's coming. And and I'll be curious as anyone to see how he reacts to it. Because, you know, as Kent also talked about in his interview with Murph and, and with Pierre Maguire, what the Canadians are in the process of doing from a management standpoint is building up the sample for each one of these players to make a proper evaluation on which ones are going to be the ones they invest in for the future they're trying to build here. Justin Barron is a player that Kent Hughes brought up, you know, a week ago uh, to talk about a really nice story from from the beginning of camp where he, you know, had a tough time and was left out of the lineup for the first three games to a player that's really come along and emerged kind of as a potential top four candidate. But he's not. He said to those guys, he said to Murph and McGuire, like, still need to see it happen over a, a longer period of time to be able to make any kind of definitive conclusion on the player. And he's right. Like, yeah, yeah, this is what it is at this level. And this is why we constantly talk about for as annoying as it is for the fans, I think sometimes to read about it, even after, especially after losses, this is a team in development. It's like the third yeah. youngest team in the NHL. And like, you're talking about defensemen who are playing in the league between 20 and 23 years old. Uh, like it just, it takes so much experience. It takes 300 games of experience for each one of these players to get to where you hope they're going to go. Jimmy Murphy asked about the injury situation since Kent Hughes has been here. Obviously, they've been injury played for the last couple of seasons. And, um, you know, um, what is it now? About 1,500 man games lost probably in the last two seasons combined. In this season, we know what happens. And, and how that affects development and how that affects the plan. Let's hear from Kent Hughes on the eye test. I, I have to be honest. Uh, it was year one, then there came year two, and we figured uh, we were going to come out of this dark cloud on the injury front. And, I mean, you know, then we lose, you know, Kirby right away in, in what period four of the season. Yep. Then it just starts going, and it's, you know, obviously we lost, we lost Newhook. We just lost Tanner Pearson against Buffalo. So, um, it's a challenge. Uh, I worry with the younger players, obviously, because, right. you know, even Slav, like he played 37 games. He didn't play 82 game season last year. So <clears throat> you lose important development time for these guys. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate. We know it's part of the game, uh, but some of our young guys have been injured for extended periods, you know, with Slav mi missing more than half a year. Kirby's basically missing a full year after having missed a large part of a season prior in, in Chicago, New Hook's going to miss a good part of the year this year. So um, it's, it's difficult because it's hard for us to, you know, when we talk about the consistency of that progression and I, I in, I did a media yeah. session when we signed Montembeau and I said, uh, I mentioned Baron is a player who's played really well for mm -hmm. stretch of games, but we also understand that a stretch of games does not make a, a National Hockey League player, it's it's being able to do that on a consistent level. And it kind of brings us back to the Andrew Chuck and on LeCavalier and Richards. And so we're seeing sequences of good games for us to be able to really know and bet on somebody. We need to see it over more extended periods. And, and that, that obviously gets uh, somewhat skewed when we don't get to see them over extended periods. Yeah, for for those who we're not going to, it's not going to change the plan. Like we're not. Uh, mm -hmm. I I didn't uh, take this job to survive. I took it to try to accomplish something. So uh, I'm going to try to do it, and you know, for as long as they're going to allow me to do it. That's an amazing line, and for those you know who just 
want this thing to turn around tomorrow morning and go out and start trading the prospects to get better right away. Parce que tanné de perdre, tanné de voir des sièges vides au centre. Kent Hughes tells you right away, it's not going to change the plan. I didn't take this job to survive. I took this job to accomplish something. Translation, unless you figured it out, I want to win the Stanley Cup. And Jeff and I have discussed what we think gives us the best chance to win it, the best opportunity, is to go through a rebuild and stick to the plan. And this is what we're going to do. That's it. And for those who don't understand, by the way, uh, the whole thing with Andrew Chuck and uh, LeCavalier and Richards, uh, Kent earlier in the conversation was talking about a conversation that he had with Dave Andrichuk, who said, look, I always knew LeCavalier and Richards were good, but it's about finding consistency. That's the hardest thing for NHL stars, for NHL players, and it takes a very, very long time. And some, you have to take a look, like, you know, a real long time down the road before you see it. And there you have it. Once again, um, 300 games. Yeah. I remember speaking to Shane Dolan a few years ago. I, I can't remember who the piece was about and why I was talking about him. Maybe it was Max Domi. But he just said, once a player hits 300 games in this league, that's when you actually know what you have. And, you know, Kent is speaking to a reality here. Like, that process of getting there for a lot of these guys is being delayed by all these injuries. Another thing that he doesn't acknowledge in, in that answer is that the de- the development and the risk of the development being altered or negatively impacted is by the players playing in more of a losing an environment than they should be in. I mean, let's face it, like the Canadians last year, yeah, they were losing games hand over fist and playing with a roster that was I mean go back and look at some of the names that were on on the roster on like yeah. December 26th or 27th when they came back from Christmas it was it was ridiculous like that's that's I don't know what the impact of that is going to be like I look at the Habs right now they're okay they're four points out of a playoff spot you know the teams that are ahead of them have a couple of games in hand there's a few teams uh in between them and the second wild card Washington but like, I'm not saying they'd be locked into a playoff spot. But like, if Kirby Doc was was healthy, given what they've done already, they'd be right up against it at least. Like, yeah, it just and and maybe we're talking about a difference of three wins, but that makes a difference in terms of the feeling and what develops with that feeling. And you know, these aren't excuses that. Kent will lean on as he moves forward here, but they are a reality that make his job and Jeff Gordon's job. Um, I don't want to say harder, but yeah. they're going to have to be extremely careful about how they evaluate what they see and who they see it from in order to, to make the proper investments. Because you, you know it as well as I do, Tony, you can have the best team in this league. You need every single thing to fall into place and go right for you to win. Yeah. You need Everything, like every single thing has to go exactly the right way for you to win the Stanley Cup. And so they can't afford to have any missteps despite some of the information not being as available to them as they would want it to be based on all these injuries. So what, Eric? You didn't think Owen Beck and Sean Farrell were ready last year and you didn't think Lucas Condotta and Joel Teasdale and Corey Schooneman were NHL players? Joel Teasdale. You know, like that's that that was I was super happy to see these guys yeah, get yeah. in and get the experience. Scored, as a matter of fact, that, in that game, remember? You know, in one respect that that helps development yeah. too, right? Like give everybody yeah. a taste of what they're they're going for. But like yeah, man, like that was I remember Kent speaking with Kent and him coming out of that period saying, you know, like it felt like nobody was developing during that time. That wasn't a yeah. good feeling for what we were trying to do. Um, but you know, they're lucky to have Marty St. Louis, who's taking a lot more heat right now, but they're lucky They're lucky to have him. Yeah, you're right about that. Hey, listen, between uh, now and the next 15 minutes or so, 
this is what's coming up, by the way, for those who are waiting, because I have it right here. Um, Lane Hudson, Cole Caulfield, Caden Primo, Arbor Jackeye. If there's more than that, there's more, but those are four topics I want to get to. Hudson will finish off with what we heard earlier today and saw earlier today on the eye test, talking about Lane Hudson's maturity. Here's Kent Hughes. Biggest hope, to be perfectly honest, was more on the uh, leadership level, mm -hmm. maturity level, and just being a 19-year-old, learning to, to... It's one thing to come in and surprise the world. Uh, it's another to come in where you're expected to do it and everybody's focusing on you and how do you handle that uh, that additional attention? How do you handle the pressure of being able to deliver up to expectations? So there's certain things that he's living at BU, albeit at the college level, that as you guys indicated earlier in this market, you're going to live in. Like my wife goes to games at BU and they're, she'll hear French Canadians. And one of her friends who's also from Montreal went over to them and said, where are you guys from? What are you doing here? And oh, we're here to see Lane Hudson. So, you know, uh, you have that kind of following and scrutiny and, and he's going to live that when he comes here. There you have it. A bunch of Quebecers are going down to Boston to go watch Lane Hudson play hockey. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. And uh, they're definitely yeah. getting their money's worth. And yeah, I love that Kent didn't, you know, <laughs> he didn't dance around the question of what the plan is with the player. He said, we're going to bring him here. We're going to bring him here at the end of the season. That's our hope and that's our goal. And he's just yeah. got to sign the papers and do it. Um, which I don't see any reason why Hudson wouldn't. Um, yeah. and he also said he also said he expects him to be a dominant player at the World Juniors. Well, how can you not? Yeah, of course. And listen, dominating I'm college hockey at the level that like yeah. very few players from his position have been able to do. Yeah, um, I think I think there's a floor building up with this player too. We we can all see the ceiling is really high, but I think. There's a lot of progress happening behind the scenes in terms of what he's working on to develop his game. And that's only going to continue as he moves forward with his professional career, which is certainly coming soon. Uh, it's the one thing people should realize is it's going to take time. Like yeah. some of the stuff that he does in college, he won't be able to do in the NHL until he establishes that floor until he establishes that defensive game that enables him to be trusted to the point where he gets on the ice enough to have enough repetition and feel confident in his ability that he can try some of the stuff that he's yeah. getting away with every day in, in, the, in the NCAA. I don't expect everybody to be patient with it, and I can only imagine what will happen if he doesn't come here and explode offensively immediately the way he has. But I'll tell you, I see a really special player, and I'm, I've said it so many times already, I, he could end up being – the best player to come out of that draft. So, and you're going to have a lot of Montreal Canadiens fans doing La Tarantella if that happens. Yeah. The Sick Podcast brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group, named by the Financial Times as one of America's fastest growing companies in 2023. They've been recognized by the Globe and Mail as a top growing Canadian company for two years in a row now. They work with some of the biggest Fortune 500 companies. They provide end-to-end -end logistics services. Join a winning team and check out Energy's career page for available opportunities. Eric, before you join me, I started off the show saying Caden Primo, and I, and I say this with the utmost respect for Jake Allen, but one of the things I was saying was, for the life of me, and I respect everyone's opinion, knowing where the Montreal Canadiens are, are right now in a rebuild knowing that Caden Primo is the youngest of the three goalies here knowing that he earns the least money of the three goalies here knowing that he's the furthest away from his prime and let's see what his prime is going to look like maybe because of that and other reasons another one could be trade value I just don't understand those who say uh, Allen's the better goalie. Put Primo on waivers or trade Primo right away. I don't get it. Are people still saying that? Well, after Saturday night, I haven't heard anyone say it anymore. <laughs> but before Saturday night's game, I'm telling you, I heard people say it, Eric. So, uh, you know what? Even during that game, I had some people tweeting at me like, you know, what's with him in the third period? He gave up two goals in the third period. What's with him in the third period? And this is a trend. And Anyways, 
Yeah. The guy's played six times this year. He's he's waiting, you know, he's waiting less than he did at the beginning of the season to get into a game, but he's still waiting to get into them. And with his level of experience in the NHL, that's harder to do than for what it is like for a guy like Jake Allen, who yeah. has had a lot of experience being a backup in this league and knows what it's like to wait three games in a row before playing. Like I, I think Caden Primo's proving that he can be a serviceable backup in this league. I yeah. think he's proving that his upside is potentially higher than that. I go back a year ago and think about the things that Jake Allen was saying about Caden Primo, and it wasn't to slight Samuel Montebo, who hadn't quite proven yet what we've seen from him since. But he was talking about Caden Primo as the future, not Sam Montembeau. That's what Jake Allen was talking about a year ago in his when he signed his contract about shepherding a guy like Primo to the position uh, down the line and leaving the organization in a better place because of it, it's going to take more time. But one thing that is becoming clear here with what's going on with Primo is yeah. if you really want to understand what you have, you're going to have to give him the net more often. And that is going to unfortunately put Jake Allen in a, in a tougher position despite the fact that he's making – more money than the other two goalies because Sam Montembeau needs the net more often too. You know, look, it's not the end of the world, this three goalie thing, and the Canadians don't want it to last for the rest of the season, but if it has to, it will. Um, but one thing they're going to have to do as they transition to the second half of the season here is get Montembeau into somewhat of a starting role so that he can continue to prove that his contract is going to be a really top value contract down the line and get Primo more into the yeah. backup role where he's playing more frequently as the second guy here. I think it tells you where this is, where how this thing is going to end. You know, the most likely situation is Jake so Allen gets I, traded, right? Like, yeah. And he knows it. He's not, yeah. he's not going to sit there and talk about it and he's going to tell everybody else. And, and as he should, he wants to stay in Montreal. Yeah. He does. He does want to stay here, but Jake Allen's a pro, and yeah. he is a real pro. Like the way yeah. he's handled everything from day one here, but especially this year, is just it just speaks to how much of a pro he is. So, I say this: if um, if Primo gets to play with you know more regularity, I think over the next couple of years he's going to give Montembeau a real run. I I think I think he's going to give him a run. All right. I'll say this, by the way, just before yeah. we move on. Sure. Great if he does, but, you know, like the way it looks between the two of them and what you could potentially project as each of their ceilings yeah. is that they could prove to be the type of tandem you need in the modern NHL to win. Like you don't necessarily need a, a Vasilevsky or a Jake Ottinger or a Igor Shesterkin or Ilya Sorokin. Uh, yeah. And why inevitably, like Hellebuck, you're going to have to pay so much money that you're eating away at your ability to build at other positions. You need two guys, at least, who could play at a level that you could rely on and trust that either one of them could start a game in the playoffs and you don't feel like there's much of a difference. And you look at what Boston has, they got that. You know, like, if Montreal is finding that right now with – Montembeau and Primo moving forward as they continue to get more experience. If they prove to be a good tandem versus one of them proving to be out of his mind great, that's going to be a hole that this management group doesn't have to consider patching, uh, and they can focus on other elements of the roster. And also the values. Primo is you know at eight hundred thousand dollars next yeah. year. Montembeau yeah. is going to be at three fifteen. Uh, you know. I think the Canadians and their fans know more than anybody what it's like to be paying top dollar for goaltenders uh, and to be out of that era soon enough is it's going to make a big difference in the team building aspect. Now, a lot of people who watched the game on Saturday night didn't like when the game got physical and were worried that the Montreal Canadiens were missing an Arbor Jack guy in the lineup. A lot of people worry that with Jack guy in Laval, other teams are going to take liberties on Montreal Canadiens players and maybe even some of Montreal's more skilled players. Are you concerned about this? Should the no. Canadians be concerned? No. 
How'd they handle it? Did they look like they got beat up in the game? I, I didn't think so. They pushed back. I, I'm not, you know, I, I think all those guys can handle themselves pretty well. I'm not diminishing the value of a guy like Jack Eye in situations like that. There's no question that he can help temper uh, a game when it gets too hot. Um, and he has, he has a real value in that. But I'm going to tell you that his value in that aspect of the game is going to shine through a lot more as his other elements of his game get refined in the process that he's in right now. And I know a lot of people are concerned about Jack Eye losing his nature and this and that, and it's very easy to instantly react to his first couple games in the American Hockey League and be concerned. Just, just give him a bit of time. Give him a, give him a bit of time. And and if there's one thing that Arbor Jack Eye has shown since like way back before he ended up being an undrafted dude who was signed with Montreal, it's that when he has something to prove, he proves it. I, I think he will. I think he's going to find himself. I think he's going to focus on what he needs to focus on. I think he's going to be a valuable contributor to the Montreal Canadiens before push comes to shove here. So be patient. And and as far as the Canadians playing without him for now, they can handle themselves. They'll, they'll be okay. All right, okay. Um, Cole Caulfield. I know the easy thing to say is goal scorers – they get hot, they get cold, they get hot, they get cold. Cole's getting the the shots, a little snake bitten right now. It's going to turn around. There's something off. There's just something off. Well, I, I think not seeing the puck at the back of the net is, is, is going to put a few things off, right? Like he's so mm-hmm. used to it happening. And if you go back to last time he went through – I don't want to say the same type of funk, but a funk under Dominic Ducharme, there were other elements of his game that slipped and it just, you know, wasn't going the way he wanted it to go or anybody else was hoping it would go. A couple things to keep in mind. Does Caulfield have 300 games of experience under his belt? No. no. Like these no. are the things that you're going to go through on your way there before coming a complete player. And he's going through There's going to, there will come a time where the, the faucet opens here and starts gushing. Right, like you it's know, actually, well. he actually has half that. I think he's got like 150 games or whatever it yeah. is. You, you, you know what this player is capable of, and you know that, you know, when his entire life he has shot at a certain clip. Yes, he's not going to continue to go. You don't do that by fluke. At a fraction of that for the for the rest of the year, that at one point or another, it's going to turn, and it's going to turn probably dramatically in the other direction. But on the way there, you hope there's not too much damage done, you know, psychologically and, and confidence-wise, because it's difficult for a goal scorer and, and one who can score as much as he can to not see it go in, especially with the amount of chances and shots he's taken. Um, there's consistency issues too, you know. Like I, I think there was a point here where he wasn't scoring goals and he was doing a lot of better things at five on five. I think that slipped not necessarily throughout the the entire last week, but really going back to last night's game uh, against Nashville wasn't, wasn't there at the level that you expect to see from Cole Caulfield in terms of the details. Yeah. Um, And I'm sure he'll adjust. I'm sure he knows. So the the power play, it's been a while since he scored a goal in the power play. He's also like, he's coming off surgery. Oh, that I listen. That's why I asked you if there's a little bit of concern. It's, because. it's not, yeah, and I get it. It's it's not it's not an excuse. It's a reality. Like yeah. he missed almost half a season last year and had season-ending surgery. And I don't, I'm not bringing this up to say, oh, I think his shot has changed and there's a problem with his shoulder. No, I, I think his shoulder, and typically, scientifically, this happens. You come back stronger from such an, an operation, uh, but. It's just he he missed a lot of time and had a different type of summer than the one that he would have had normally. And I just think there's an effect there. There's an effect there. Should should people be concerned? They can be. Do I think we're losing the version of Cole Caulfield we expect to see? No. I think he's going through some of the normal things that players of his experience and his age go through. You know? It's just the ceiling 
has already been demonstrated to be so high that to see him far away from it will concern people. And I'm not, I'm not going to talk them out of that concern. For me personally, I'm not that concerned about it. I think in the end, Caulfield will be Caulfield. And the Caulfield that I know and have come to understand as a player is a, is a really good one. All right, so the Canadians and the Pittsburgh Penguins on Wednesday night. I'm looking forward to this one. Any chance, anytime you have a chance to see Sid the Kid. I mean, let's uh, Montreal Pittsburgh's always good games, so I'm I'm pretty excited about it. And Crosby's been unbelievable this year. Yeah, Uh, it'll be interesting to see whose power play unlocks it because obviously neither of them are going (laughs) anywhere near where they want them to go. Uh, Canadians have been a little more consistent, believe it or not. The Penguins are yeah have an 0440 something stint going on unless that's changed between now and when they play the game. But uh, man, you know, it's, these are two teams that whenever they meet up for whatever reason, you're going to get something entertaining happen. Maybe it's a game where Suzuki and Caulfield kind of blow it out of the water. Who knows? But I love watching Sidney Crosby play live. I can't believe how old is he? 35, 36. He's like fine wine, man. I can't, I can't believe He's like fine wine. It makes me feel old, man. Like I can't believe. Yeah. This. Uh, well, this whole, we're, we're, we're not from a sixteen-year-old at the World Junior, like yeah. twenty years later. Like it's just, it's unbelievable. Eric, a solid hour, and uh, you, my friend, are getting better with age as well. So we'll talk to you soon. Enjoy the hockey game on Wednesday night, and thanks for being a part of the Sick Podcast. Buddy. Can I tell you something, Tony? There might be one thing you want to look out for because I know you mentioned yeah. his name before. Uh, Owen Beck. Yeah. The only returnee to Team Canada after yeah. being the last player cut last be a year. Time leader on that team tournament. Yeah, I did an interview with him on Sunday, and I'm looking forward to that uh, feature coming out at Sportsnet tomorrow. So, oh, amazing! Should good be, uh, should be good. a good read. Yeah, they're expecting him to play a pretty prominent role this year on the team. I, I look for it. Listen, it's gonna. It's always a fun World Juniors. Uh, I think the States are going to be really tough to beat, but uh, I say that hoping, of course, that Canada will uh, win gold. Eric, thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Take care, Tony. All right, there you have it, Eric Engels. And once again, uh, take a look out for his feature with Owen Beck tomorrow on Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. The Sick Podcast brought to you in part by these guys, Labitta TV, brewed in Quebec, a winner of a dozen international awards. Labitta TV offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. Labitta TV, embrace your true nature. I hope you enjoyed the Sick Podcast tonight. And I hope you enjoyed watching all of those clips. And you know what? There's more of Kent Hughes. Give the uh, eye test on the Sick Podcast Network a watch and give it a listen. It is really worth it, folks. I think they started up, give or take, a month ago, maybe less. And, of course, they've had, uh, with uh, Pierre Maguire's Rolex, they've had uh, uh, Bill Guerin, the general manager of the Minnesota Wild, uh, the great Scotty Bowman, today Kent Hughes, Uh, Some real good guests. They cover hockey across the board, whether it's the National Hockey League or the American Hockey League or whether it's college hockey. They they talk about the women's game. They talk about hockey uh, from A to Z. It's pretty amazing. It's uh, really cool. Folks, I made a decision at one point, you know this, to go forward with the SICK podcast. And, you know, uh, some people did scratch their heads because they didn't know everything behind it. And now, uh, about a year and a half in, after I've decided to go full-time, Pierre Maguire is part of the SICK Podcast Network. And he, along with Jimmy Murphy, co-host The Eye Test. Pierre Maguire can work for any network in the world. Anyone. Canada, USA, talk about hockey anywhere and with anyone. He's on the SICK Podcast Network. I think it's pretty safe to say uh, that they see what I saw and hopefully that some of you are seeing more and more every day. We're here. We're here to stay. We're getting bigger. We're getting better. We're expanding. And I'm very happy to say, and I say this with a lot of humility because I know what's going on in the industry We're hiring. We're expanding. Once again, bigger and better every day. We're going in the right direction, and we there would be no direction without all of you watching, without all of you telling your friends, without all of you liking what we put out there, 
sharing what we put out there, retweeting what we put out there, quoting what we put out there, and being here weeknights at 10 p.m. It's an appointment podcast. We'll talk to you again tomorrow night, same time, same place. And before I go, a word on Playground. Also, part of this, experience the world-renowned poker experience with free food and drinks at their cash game tables, a bad beat jackpot that's already over $700,000 after the world record-setting amount of $2,590,000 was won back on August the 2nd. Weekly promotions, daily tournaments, and unmatched customer service. Why play anywhere else located just over the Mercia Bridge, only minutes from downtown Montreal Playground? We've been talking about since the summer that we wanted to have a get-together. We just want to be able to meet all of you, shake your hands, give you a hug, take a picture, share a laugh, have a good time, talk about hockey, talk about your favorite team, the Montreal Canadiens. So there's going to be a meet and greet per se. This Saturday, December 16th, I'm going to be at Playground. I think I'm going to be there pretty early because I, you know, we're going to give you more of the details tomorrow at what time I'm going to be there. And the hockey game is going to be on in the background. All right. It'll be on in the background. So you'll be able to check in on it every now and then while you are playing the slots, while you're going here, going there. But it promises to be a really good night. We're going to have a lot of fun. I hope you can get out there. I, you know, bring your identification because you sign up, you get a membership card, and they'll probably give you a couple of dollars of play money. I'll be able to give you more of the information tomorrow at what time and what you know what you can expect. But mark it down in your calendars. Saturday night at Playground, I'm going to be there. Agnello will be there. Sammy will be there. Juliana will be there. The Cavalaros will be there. We're going to get Shane Gomo there. I'm going to give a call a, a call to Grant McCagg. I'm going to try and get him there too. The Sick Podcast is brought to you in part by Playground, by La Bitta TB, and by Energy Transportation Group. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Weeknights at 10 p.m. We'll be back again tomorrow night. Have a great night. Ciao, ciao. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.